Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. more prayer since we were just encouraged to be in the word and, and to be praying. Lord, we thank you for uh, who you are, what you've done, Lord God. We thank you for the testimonies that you place within the hearts and minds of men and women, Lord God. We thank you for uh, the seeds that you planted that will grow into testimonies in the lives of the men and women who are here in this place this morning, God. We just ask that you would open our eyes and our ears, that we would be able to see it, be able to hear it, Father God. We know it's what you're doing. It's who you are. Your word says that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You've been restoring and reconciling, Lord. You've been healing. You've been changing and transforming the lives of men and women since Adam and Eve fell, Lord God. We know that that's what your desire is here in this place this morning. We know that when we wake up tomorrow, Lord, and next week, if you allow us to continue to, to live here in this place, Lord, and next year, that you'll do the same thing. Just let us see it. Let us experience it for ourselves, Lord God. Let us develop a heart after yours that loves not only you, but loves others, Lord God. Just have your way. Uh, call us out of sleep to wake up, Lord God. We love you this morning. We need you now more than ever, Lord. We want the fresh word that you have for us today. We don't want last week's manna, Lord God. We want what you have for us today. Minister to your sons. Minister to your daughters here in this place, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We come before you in the name and covered by the blood of Jesus. And the church said, amen. 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 All right. So our series that we have uh, started last Sunday, first Sunday of the year, is called Coming of Age. And what we talked about last week, again, was the blessing of reflecting, but this idea of coming of age, of growing up in 2018, of really becoming men, really becoming women, no longer being children tossed to and fro. Uh, this idea of coming of age, we said, it's not about how old you are. It doesn't mean, hey, I turned 18, I'm now an adult, I can uh, uh, go out and buy things I couldn't buy before, I can make my own decisions, I can vote, or I've turned 21 and I can drink. It's not about those things. There are people who are very young, but they are, they've come of age, they're grown, they're accountable for themselves and for their actions. And there are people who are very old and have not matured and have not grown and are not, uh, even though they're at an age of accountability, they don't carry themselves that way. So, so this series, I think it started off well last week. We reflected and we talked about uh, needing to look back, which is why we had what we had this morning with, with Steve coming up, is we get into a pace and we get going and we, we're on to the next thing that we need to see God do and we want to see God do, but we have to also slow down and say, well, what have you already done, Lord? 
You know, if we don't get Steve up here and, and, and hear that he was at a wedding and get him up here and hear that what happened on a particular day in May and hear what those struggles have been, highs and lows between last May and this January, we're not really reflecting on what God is doing on a daily basis on a month-by-month -month basis. You come into this place, you might see him, you might do some meet and greet, give him a high five, a little brother hug, you know, you come in, you give him a little bit of love, but that's it. What good is that if you don't see God, if you don't see uh, the progression in a man's life, if you don't see that something is now different than, than it was before? God wants us to reflect on these things. So this week, uh, I, I couldn't have scripted his, his testimony better if, if he would have let me tell him what to say. But we're going to be looking at what it means to become a man. When you talk about coming of age, what does it really mean to become a man? The title is actually Man to Man. And the question is, how is it that a boy becomes a man? When does that happen? How does that happen? For the women who are here this morning, do not disconnect, do not disengage, do not think, oh, this is for the men. Let me make sure I get it recorded so I can send it to all the men in my life. <laughs> I think that if you'll focus in, uh, you'll learn some things about men uh, that you love. You'll learn some things about the boys that you love this morning. And as always, when God speaks, he speaks to all of us. Somebody say amen. Right, so uh, it may be, the title may be man to man, and we may be talking about what it means for a man to come of age, but there are some things I believe that will uh, encourage you, challenge you uh, as women here this morning as well. So why is it man to man? We're going to look at some conversations in scripture between men, these man to man conversations, very, very similar to what you saw between Steve and I, where we just get together and we begin to talk, we begin to engage with each other. And, uh, and wrestle with, it, with what it is that God is trying to do. There's something about men getting together and talking about the things in life that really matters. Many of us ha had not experienced that before, before coming to the Lord, but once you find yourself in a situation where you are face-to-face -face with another man, when you're talking about things that matter, we ain't talking about the Patriots score last night, none of us play for those teams and it doesn't matter. We talk about a lot of things with a lot of men. We go to work every day. We do all that kind of stuff. And if you really evaluate, most of the things we talk about do not matter. They're not important. They don't change our lives. They don't change the lives of the people we care about. It actually feels awkward for most men to talk to another man about something that matters. It's uncomfortable and awkward. But we need it and men long for it. Even if we don't know that, even if we don't understand it, we need it and we long for it. We desire it. <clears throat> this week I had some really good and important conversations uh, with other men. I got a friend of mine that, that I went to high school with. Uh, he's not saved, doesn't go to church or anything like that. But uh, last year we started saying, hey, let's just hook up and, and grab some coffee. So we'd go, we'd sit down at a, at a Starbucks and we'd just talk about stuff. And, and again, I can tell the difference between meeting with him and talking with him about regular life stuff and then, again, meeting with the man of God and talking about the things of God. But one thing that I thought was interesting is that he values the time. As a man who's not a Christian, doesn't go to church, doesn't serve God, uh, this last week, we hadn't done any since probably it's been three or four months. I hit him up on 
Tuesday and said, hey, we're getting a, we have a men's fellowship tonight with the guys. We're going to be having some pizza and bread. Do you think you want to you come out? We're going to be there at 7 o'clock. He's like, hey, man, I'm doing some jujitsu at 7. I said, well, do you want to meet up early and just have coffee, just me and you? He's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's meet at 5.30. We met at 5.30, and we, we talked for an hour, and then I went and got with the guys. But one of the things that I thought was interesting is this is just another man, but he values that time. Does that make sense? Like I could see his, he's longing for it. He wants to meet with another man. He wants to just sit and talk about life. And I thought about how many men are really longing for that and they won't say anything or they haven't been offered. And how many of us as men don't offer that time? I just, I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that he was willing to come. Why is he willing to come? You know, we see each other, we play ball together, we do all that kind of stuff, but there was something about let's actually sit down and talk that he needed. Another, another man, and I'm talking about this week, so I'll call, about, call a few out by name. Uh, I met with Gary this week, and we talked about young people in the church, and we talked about our role in their lives. He's a youth leader in this church, so it makes sense, but we, we sat down, and as we were talking, I, I was thinking, hey, this is actually pretty funny. Of all the places I've been in my life, all the things I've done in my life, all the things I know Gary's been, a place he's been, things he's done in his life, now here we are at the church on an off day from church, and we're fighting with each other about what's best for the youth in this church. <laughs> but it was so encouraging when we were done, because I was like, you know what, we're talking about stuff that matters. These are other people's kids, and it's like, how can we impart into their lives? How can we help them? How can they grow? How can we keep them from having testimonies like mine, and like his, and like Steve's? Amen. Like, this stuff matters. But it's me, man to man with another man talking. Called my dad this week. Uh, we had a talk about health, internal and external health. He fell a couple of months ago, dis, um, dislocated both knees, ruptured both of his tendons, at, that uh, quadriceps tendons. So never been injured in his whole life, and now he's been bedridden for a couple of months now. And we were talking about his age and health. And then I made the mistake, like some of you saw on Facebook, and I watched this documentary called What the Health, and I became a vegan this week. Because <clears throat> I made the second mistake of sending it to my wife. She got rid of all the food in the refrigerator. It's been a tough week. It's been a tough week. But I was talking to my dad, and it was like, it was a man-to-man -man conversation about, like, you guys, it's, it's hard to see somebody vulnerable. But my dad, lately, when I talk to him, I've never had these kind of conversations with him. But he's like, you know, son, uh, just getting around, getting to the restroom, somebody having to wait on me. You know, like, you know when you call somebody and you can tell they just want to talk? He'll talk for like an hour and a half, and I didn't say a single word, right? But he just needs to talk, man-to-man -man conversation about what he's going through. And I thought to myself, who else can he talk to? Who else can he call and say, you know what, I'm feeling a little insecure. I'm hurting right now. I can't walk, son. I'm thinking about my grandkids. Can I play with them? What's going to happen? Right. Another one I had uh, was with my own son. So I go from talking to my dad this week to talking to my son, Nate. He just turned 10 on Monday. It was like a big deal for, for the family. Wasted more money than I should be wasting on some kid. It's just a birthday, dude. But anyway, he, he invited a couple friends. He went to Sky Zone. So we told him, you can invite nine people, right? And on his list of friends was a girl that goes to school with him. And I was like, hey. Hold up a minute. Pump the brakes. So I was like, you know, who, who's this girl, Natalie? Oh, it's my friend, Dad. And so he got all these invitations done. So in the morning on Saturday, I was like, so is Natalie, like, you know, is she pretty? 
And he, he got all like shy and kind of weird. You know, like, what do you mean, Dad? I was like, well, do you like her as a friend or do you kind of like, do you like her? He was like, don't talk to me about that, Dad. <laughs> I said, listen, son, it's okay. She's like, she, she's like, she's just my friend. I said, that's great. I'm glad that she's your friend. Don't feel pressured. I don't want you to be growing up too fast, son. I just want you to know that you can talk to me. I said, I wasn't much older than you when, when girls started looking less like friends and more like something else. I said, I met your mom. She was the first girl I felt that way about. I said, I was only a year older than you. I was 11 years old when I met her. My first girlfriend. Got it right. Then <laughs> messed it up for like two decades. God restores. So I was telling him, having this little quick conversation with him, but I, I, I thought it was interesting how awkward it was for me. I'm a man. I'm a father. And I'm, it's strange to talk to my little boy about like, hey, how you feeling? Why do you feel that way? Is she cute? I want to know if she was cute. <laughs> and then the last one was actually Steve. Uh, we just happened to be on the phone, I think it was on Wednesday, before service in the, in the afternoon, just talking about life and talking about perspective on some things that both of us are going through. And, and we were just talking about how can we have a perspective on this situation that's not just Vaughn's perspective and not just Steve's perspective. Let's get out of ourselves and let's imagine how other people that are involved in these situations are looking at them. Amen. And I thought, wow. Just man-to-man conversations. My life is enriched because of these type of man-to-man conversations that I have consistently. Every single week, without fail, I talk to at least one man about this kind of stuff. And my life is full because of it. My life is enriched because of it. I'm challenged because of it. I'm not able to just be who I think I should be and be what I want to be. I have to be challenged. I have to be pressed. So this morning, as we look at what it means to come of age, what it means to become a man, what it means to have these man-to-man types of conversations, I want to look at three areas. The first is affirmation, the second is risk, and the third is impartation. Uh, but first, I want to, I want to show you guys a, a little video, uh, a little uh, a scene. So, Ray, if you could hit the lights and, and play that, appreciate it.
Nobody knows scripture, but we all know Stand By Me. <laughs> it's one of the all-time best, though, coming-of-age movies, right? It's got a ton of emotion in it. Uh, there's suspense, this youthful, youthful perspective on life. And for many of us, if you watch that kind of movie, you start thinking back to when you were a kid and when you were a teenager and the trouble you got into and the things that you should have never done that you did that you hope nobody finds out about. So great movie. And the first area that I want to look at from this scene is, is affirmation. So in this scene, you've got this young man, and he's not able to get affirmation from his father, but he had a big brother who was willing to give it to him. He's sitting at the table, and it's as if he doesn't even exist, right? Hey, hey, Dad, can I even get the potatoes? And his dad's ignoring him because he's giving what? All of the affirmation is going to the big brother because he plays football, because he's a star, right? Because he's got a big game. He's telling the wife, be quiet. Don't talk about girls. Let's focus all on who he is, my young, tall, strapping son who plays football. And this other little boy is just sitting there with no affirmation whatsoever. The father made up his mind what was important, what was valuable, and what was deserving of affirmation, but he was narrow-minded. This is a problem that we have in life. This is a problem that we have as men is that somebody who has told us what is worthy of affirmation and it's a very narrow list of what you should be encouraged to do and where you should be encouraged to, uh, that you have value. It's a narrow list. That means there's a whole bunch of people that never get any affirmation, never get any encouragement. What happens a lot of times is those that have received affirmation, we begin to realize how important it is. If you've ever had somebody come up and say, good job. If you've ever had somebody come up and say, look, I noticed what you did. If you ever had a big brother lean over and say, hey, I read your story and I liked it. I thought it was awesome. You realize how much you need it. You might not realize if, if you've never experienced it, but once you get it, you're like, dang, I needed that. Man, that felt good. And it's usually those people that say, I needed it, it felt good, I got it, that you're, you begin to look for other people where you can say, man, let me affirm somebody. Let me encourage somebody. Let me pat somebody on the back. What a tragedy is if you get it and you don't give it. When you know we live in a world that doesn't offer it very often. Our world, our, our culture purposely withholds affirmation from men. Let me say that again. You live in a world, you live in an American culture that on purpose withholds affirmation from men. Our standard, our way of living as Americans is to say this, don't give any man encouragement, don't give them affirmation, keep that carrot dangling ahead of them saying you didn't make it, you didn't do good enough, you haven't reached it yet. Why? So that they'll keep pushing and keep pushing and keep fighting for it. What we say is, keep pushing, keep fighting. Real men will not quit. You haven't reached it yet. There's nothing to encourage you for. There's nothing to say good job about. You haven't reached it. But if you're a real man, you won't quit. Keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting. And then when we see men fall off or quit or fall short, we look at these other ones who are still running and we say, look, that's not a real man. Don't be like him. It's crazy. It's crazy what's actually happening to us as men and what we allow to happen to us as men and then what we pass down to young men. Many of us are fathers in here of young men, of boys. We got one in the back that's only a few weeks old. 
Where's that affirmation going to come from? First Samuel chapter 16. Read a story to you guys. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Samuel is the prophet. We've been talking about this in Wednesday nights. We've started this Hebrews Bible study, and we talked about what a prophet is and why God would speak to them. This is one of God's prophets uh, named Samuel, and he's telling him about Saul, who's the king at the time. And he's telling him, look, you got to get over it. We're going in another direction. He tells Samuel, God tells Samuel, fill your horn with, horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? Think about that for a second. The prophet or the man of God, when they come into the city, it can be a joyful thing or it can be a very scary thing. Are you coming into the city to say God's bringing blessings? Or are you coming like Jonah came in to say, look, it's about to go down? So they're afraid when he comes into the city. Verse 5, he said, I come peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely this, or excuse me, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I refuse him. For the Lord does not see a man or excuse me, or see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. David's story starts the same way that this young boy in Stand By Me's story started. He's the younger brother. Nobody's paying attention to him. He's getting no affirmation from his father. This is King David, the one that we talk about, the one that they build altars to, the one that a whole nation of people has the star of David. He's the son that was forgotten. Nobody was even paying attention to him. Took all his sons before Samuel thinking one of these guys is going to be anointed. And he's like, oh yeah, that other one's over there. We might not want to say it, but many of us in this room are that other one over there. <laughs> nobody's affirming you. Nobody's patting you on the back. And nobody chose you. Forgotten, discounted. David was by his earthly father. But listen to this, another man changed everything 
in both of their lives, right? The young man in the video in Stand By Me, it took another man, his brother, to change his life. David, nothing was going to change. His, his older brothers were not going to affirm him and lift him up. His father was not going to affirm him and lift it up. But another man came into his house and said, you're chosen. You're worth something. You're valuable. Samuel told David that he was chosen and valuable and worthy of destiny and of purpose. And it might have been the first time that he heard it in his whole life. Think about that for a second. Samuel comes into his house and says, listen, you're worthy. You're valuable. You have a destiny on your life. You have purpose. It doesn't matter what else you've heard. It might have been the first time. Imagine hearing that for the first time. Think about the men that you know and think about what the last time it probably was that somebody said to them, you're worthy, you're valuable, you have purpose, you have a destiny. I choose you. Most important thing I want everybody to understand this morning as men is that affirmation comes from God. It comes from God. If you look at this whole story, the, the mouth that moved was Samuel's. It was just man-to-man, -man, but it was more than a man-to-man -man conversation. God said, Samuel, go to this place, and I'm going to tell you who I choose. Amen. I'm going to tell you who the one that I want affirmed, the one that I want anointed, the one that I want to use. So when you're having these man-to-man -man conversations, don't always just look at it as a man-to-man -man conversation. This is how God moves. God will affirm you if you let him, if you listen, if you have the conversations. God was choosing the young man that he wanted. Verse 7 said, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his height or stature. I refused him. The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many of you have seen the especially the men, I'm sure you women have watched it maybe for different reasons, but how many of you men have seen the movie Fight Club? All right. Ed Norton, Brad Pitt, I think it was back in the 90s still, or maybe early 2000s, but there's a good scene. They're, they're both on this uh, bus, I think it is, and they're riding the bus, and then there's, a, there's a, an ad of a male underwear model, and he's got like this Greek god body just standing there flexing with, with his underwear on, and, and Ed Norton and Brad Pitt look at each other, and they say, is that what a man looks like? And the point that they're making is these dudes have been, after work, bare-knuckle fighting and brawling with each other. Some tall guys, some short guys, some skinny guys, some fat guys, some young guys, some old guys, and they're just fighting to the death. And then they get up and they hug each other because they're saying, look, that's not what a man looks like with a six-pack and his underwear model. A man is somebody who can fight. A man who somebody who can use his fist. So they have a perspective on what a man is, and what they're saying is this model or this image that the world is plastering for us that says this is what a man's look like is wrong. So they had something right. What the world tries to sell us that a man is and what a, man's look, what a man looks like is wrong. It's wrong. But what they had also wrong, they only got it partially right, is it ain't about how much you can fight or how well you can fight. I don't know when it was. Like, UFC's been around for, for a while. And when it first came out, they used to fight until there was no um, uh, rounds. It was just like you fight until somebody quits or dies or gets, you know, they can't fight anymore. And 
Ever since then, the progression of what it means to fight has changed in America. Like everybody thought they could fight back in the day, like when you were in school, when you were in junior high or whatever, like everybody thought they could fight. Now there are people that don't look like they could fight and they'll kill you. <laughs> like you know when somebody used to cut you off and like people used to give the finger or like try to pull over and like jump out of the car? Ain't nobody pulling over jumping out of cars. You don't know what this person knows. You get cut off now, you're like, I hope you're not a UFC fighter, man. Go ahead, bro. Go ahead, bro. It's all good, man. I got kids. I got kids. I got to go to work this week. I don't even want to fight. <laughs> Fighting has become like a profession. Like, people really know how to do that now. That's not what makes you a man. Being able to fight in the physical realm is not what makes you a man. <clears throat> God says he's looking at the heart of men. What's he looking for when he looks at the heart of men? He's looking for men who can love, men who can feel, men who can fail, Amen. and men who can fight in the spiritual realm. Amen. If you can't love, listen to what Steve said. I said I couldn't have scripted it better. What did he say? Now that I'm a man of God and things have changed, I said, talk about anything you want to talk about, Steve. Say anything that you want to say. And what did he say? I just want to love. I want to love. I used to just love my girl, but I want to love everybody now. God says love your enemy. God is looking for a heart. If you want to be a man, God says you need a heart that can love. You need a heart that can feel. The world says a man is a rock that feels nothing and never cries. God says I'm looking for a heart that can feel and a heart that can love. Amen. Then he says I'm looking also for a heart that can fail. Don't, if you don't do anything, you don't try anything, you don't call a man, you don't go to a men's fellowship or Bible study, you don't open the word of God, the good news is you'll never fail because you never tried anything. God's not looking for men like that. He's looking for men who will try and be willing to fail. When we talk to our kids about trying this or trying that, we know they're going to fail. We prepare them to fail. It's like, look, you're probably not going to succeed when you start, but we're going to keep encouraging you. We're going to put you back out there. You're going to go to the first practice and say you want to quit. We're going to say, no, you can't quit. We don't care that you failed and there's other kids that are better than you. Get back out there. But we don't apply that to our own lives as men. That's crazy. Because we buy what the world tells us and sells us about what it means to be a man. Stop. And then he wants men who can fight in the spiritual realm. I don't care if you can put me in a rear naked choke and you can put me in an arm bar and you can break my leg. I don't care if you can fight in the physical realm. If you can't fight in the spiritual realm, you're not a man. Amen. Period. Anybody can learn to do those other things. Not everybody can learn to fight in the spiritual realm. And not everybody's willing to fight in the spiritual realm. Listen to what God would later say about this David, right? The forgotten son, the last son, the one that like, had to get called in at the end to say, maybe you want to look at little David here. David was a man who loved and failed, but he continued to fight. Ephesians 6, before I even go there, Ephesians 6, 12 puts it like this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We're not fighting a fight against other men physically. What we're fighting a fight against is other men who have not been affirmed, other men who have not been encouraged, other men who have not been heard, other men who are sitting at the table of their family saying, can I get the potatoes, and nobody's responding. We need men who will fight for those kind of men and affirm those kind of men and reach over and put their arm around them and say, I read your story and I liked it. 
Those enemies are much more damaging than the physical enemies. Drugs, alcohol, perversion, all those things we can be delivered from, but they don't have nearly as much damage as in a spiritual room when the enemy tells you, you deserve to go to hell. You're not worthy of salvation. You can never change. You're a product of your father. And you're going to produce just what he produced. When he left and left you to become who you're becoming, all you can do is create another child who's going to become just like you. What do I need somebody to teach me how to box for? I need somebody to tell me that that's a lie from the pit of hell and tell me the truth and affirm me. This is what God says about David. Acts 13, 21. They asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, this is God speaking about David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. God says, I found one. I found a man, and he's after my own heart. If you're a man in this place, God's looking for you and he'll affirm you, or affirm you and it's based on one criteria. He's looking for you. He said, I found David. He wants to find you just like he wants to find me. He wants to affirm us and he gives us one criteria. If you were to ask, pull your coworkers. Hey, bro, what does it mean to be a man? What makes you a man? What type of man do you want to be? What are you trying to accomplish? The same things that I talked to Steve about up here. Pull your coworkers and see what it is that they're striving for and aspiring to. And I promise you that nine out of ten, it, nine out of ten times it will not be what God is saying. God says there's only one criteria. I'm looking for a man who will do my will. Do you hear what Steve said? I, what do you want to do, bro? I just want to do whatever God wants me to do. I want to go where he tells me to go. I want to accomplish what he tells me to accomplish. I didn't script that. When we talk about what does it mean to be a Christian, it means that the Spirit of God has come to live in somebody's life. God says, I'll write it on their minds and I'll place it in their hearts. And the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you ask a man a question and he says, I just want to do what God wants me to do, that's the Spirit of God that lives inside of that man saying, you are now a man of God. You have been affirmed and confirmed. David was far from perfect. I don't want you to confuse perfection with doing the will of God. Again, he said, look, it's hard to be a man of God. It's hard to follow after Christ. It's hard to do what he wants me to do. And I fail consistently. But what I do is I I get into the word. I get into worship. I start praying and I try. David was a failure on a lot of ways. Adultery, murder, all kinds of stuff. How could God say that he's, he's a man after my own heart? Number one, he's a man. He's not God. God's the only one that's perfect, so don't try, men, right? Number two, David consistently repented, and then he ran back to God. I'm sorry. I can't believe I did that. God, forgive me. How, how can you call me yours? Why would you make me king? Really what it means to be a man is not to act like you have it all together all the time. It's to be able to say, look, I suck, and I don't understand why you would choose me. <laughs> I don't understand why you would make me the husband. I don't understand why you would make me the pastor. I don't understand why you would make me the father. God, don't you care about these kids? Why would you make me their dad? (laughs) That's the story of David. He failed, but you know what? He kept fighting. He's like, who's going to fight for me? I'm going to fight. God, if you called me, if you chose me, if I was the last one and you anointed me anyway and you wanted me to be king, you must know better than I do. I'm going to keep fighting. 
So number one, do the will of God. Affirmation. God wants to affirm you men who are here this morning. Number two, I said, is risk. The will of God is never found in a man's comfort zone. How can you do the will of God, which is how God is going to affirm you, if you don't find the will of God? In order to find the will of God, please believe me, it's not going to be in your comfort zone. It's not going to be at home in the lazy boy with uh, whatever your drug of choice is or alcohol of choice is with the game that you love on. Like, that's not where you find the will of God. It's going to be outside of your comfort zone. Most men don't wake up and say, you know what, I'm just going to go to church. (laughs) No. Somebody made you uncomfortable. They hit you up with a flyer. They called you. Your wife said, look, if you don't go, hey, we ain't going to continue to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's uncomfortable, but we do it. Why? Because we know with risk comes reward. The will of God is found out there somewhere, not back there somewhere where you've already been, doing what you've already done. In this movie, Stand By Me, that's the whole premise, is they set on on this journey together as boys, and when they come back a few days later, they come back as men. Why? Because they went somewhere they had never been before, and they took risks that they had never taken before. Y'all need to watch more movies. (laughs) I love movies. You can learn a lot. They left as boys, and they came back as men. If they would have stayed home, nothing would have changed in their life. They're running from trains. People are trying to kill them. There's older boys that are trying to suppress them. There's all kinds of stuff happening. And they would just take the risk, take the risk, take the risk. When David got called, think about this. Samuel shows up, comes to his house, looks at his brother, said, it's not them, it's you. But after he told them, it's you and you're chosen and you're affirmed, David had to leave home. He had to take a risk. He couldn't just stay there and say, oh, cool, I'm glad I'm chosen. I'm just going to stay here and be comfortable as a shepherd boy. <laughs> After this affirmation, this calling, this choosing, he says, all right, now you've got to go out and take risks. Go live a life of danger. You know, it's hard as, an, as a parent now. When I was a kid growing up, we, we had the streetlight rule that many of you had, right? Like, just go, but have your butt back in this house when the streetlights come on. <laughs> What kind of parenting is that? (laughs) There's no chance I'm going to tell my kids something like that now. Because I'm afraid of the world that they live in. Right? But think about this for a second. Like, how do we expect our young boys to become men? Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to tell Nate because I, I was already at his age. The reason why I even knew Mary, like I said, at 11 is because I jump on my bike and I go ride by her house trying to do tricks and wheelies and (laughs) check me out, girl. But I was out there, you know what I'm saying, with no parental guidance, just figuring out life. And remember, there was those days, I don't know if you guys remember, you'd jump on your bike, you'd hit like the riverbed, and like every pedal, you'd be like, man, I'm way too far, but I can't stop. Something's happening inside of me. I'm going further than I've ever been. There's like this coming of age, this this something that has to happen. So what do we do? We have to be careful. I'm not going to tell my son, just go and be back when the streetlights come on. But I also cannot just keep him in the house and not let him come of age. Not provide opportunities for him to take risks. Not provide opportunities for him to be able to see, like, son, you got to grow. It's a challenge. And you know what's the, the, one of the, the things that the enemy uses? He keeps us so busy that we don't, we don't even think about it. 
We don't even care. I got to go to work. I got to do this. I got to be here. I got to be there. I got this going on with my wife. I got this going on in the schedule. And we don't even think like, is my son becoming a man? Is he coming of age? Is he, is, am I as his parent making sure that he's taking these steps that have to be taken? Man, we're missing it. What happens to a lot of us in the lives of boys is that we realize in our minds one day, I'm not a man yet. Like that thought crosses your, your, your mind where you say, I might act like one. My friends might think I'm more of one. I was reading something that said that some boys get facial hair at 11 and some don't get it till like 19, 20. I remember those kids that like had it early. I was like, dang, what happened to him? You know what I mean? It's like, is he a man? Am I not a man? Like, what's going on? I thought I was, you know. But it doesn't matter if you have facial hair or not. Inside, how many of you understand that we all know ourselves? Somebody say amen. amen. So inside, you're like, I'm not really a man. Regardless of how I look, I'm not a man. And we have this realization that we're not yet men, and then we have a choice to make. Either we risk everything to become a man, or we just continue to age, hoping that it'll just happen one day. Watch what happens to boys around 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Some of them, they don't really want to fight, but they're like, man, I just feel like I got to risk something. I feel like I got to experience something. I feel like I got to do something. We start getting in trouble. We start driving down the riverbed. We start doing these things and acting out because we know we're not men yet, but we want to be. And then there's others who know they're not men yet, and they're like, I'm just cool with it. But it'll just happen when it happens. Matthew 4, 18 says, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. What a risk. Jesus walks by, doesn't know these guys, and says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They leave their nets, they leave everything, they risk everything to follow this man who they believe is going to make them something that they're not that day. How many people, how many young people, teenagers, young men, 18, 19, 20, 25, have left their past behind because some older boy or some random man or whoever it was said, follow me. You want to become a man? Smoke this. You want to become a man? Drink this. You want to become a man? Do this with her. And we follow. We are not opposed to risk. Risk is innate inside of us. It just matters what kind of men we're going to be around to determine what kind of men we want to become. I think it's crazy when I read this and it's like, man, Jesus just called and they went. But when I really think about it, all of us do that. We go when people call. I remember the different calls that I received as a young person, and I would just go. God does not call people initially to safety and security. When you think about the church, don't let the church lie to you. Oh, come here. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be safe. We're going to be secure. We're going to be happy. Everybody's going to be nice. We're going to hug you. We're going to love you. And God is just, nothing bad is ever going to happen. What Bible are you reading? (laughs) That is not the story. When he called people, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. People are trying to kill them. They're broke. 
People hate on them. Later on, they all died horrible deaths. He doesn't call you to safety and security. He calls you to come of age, to become a man, to become a woman of God. He says, follow me, listen to this call, risk everything from your past, and I'll give you an eternal future. Why are we looking for security and safety? That's not what he's offering. He's offering salvation and eternal life. And here's the, the good news, depending on how you look at it. As you grow, as you mature with God, the call to risk, they just continue. Look at the lives of these disciples. That's a huge risk in the beginning. And then you know what he would do? He'd just keep telling them, hey, we got to risk more. <laughs> you got to risk again. Matthew 14, 23. Jesus sends the multitudes away. He went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat uh, was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered, and answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Listen to this. Peter understood the potential for growth that was attached to risk. Peter, as a man, he connected growth with risk. He says, listen. I want to grow. I want to continue to mature. I want to go somewhere I've never been. I want to experience things I've never experienced. But I have to risk in order to do that. He was not just an adrenaline junkie. Many of us take stupid risks that God did not tell us to take. <laughs> That's not what I'm telling you to do. Peter says this, God, if it is you, call me to risk. Call me to, to risk what I already have. I'm in the boat. It's not great, but I'm safer than I will be out there. But if it's you, call me and I'll risk it. Amen. Some people say that Peter failed because he sank. Even if he did fail, this may have been the moment that Peter really became a man of God, though. What it means to be a man of God is to trust God and to risk everything at the word of God. When our lives are tossed to and fro, when the waves of your situations are crashing in on you, <clears throat> when we don't know if we're going to survive, when we don't know if the people we love that are in our boat with us are going to survive, what do we as men do then? You're struggling, it's falling apart, you're overwhelmed. You know that your job is to take care of these other people who are around you. What do you do? So who's the real man? I think Peter's the real man. Peter says, look, God, I know I'm in the boat. I know I got to take care of these people. I'm kind of the leader. But if, that's, if it's you out there, just call me and I'll, I'll go. I will step out of this boat. I will risk everything, my own life and their life, because I already know that you're the only hope. If I don't get to you, if you don't save us, there's no hope anyway. I think Peter came of age right here in this moment. So Peter failed. He steps out of the boat. 
and he sinks. He steps out of the boat, and listen, he doesn't even make it to Jesus. He's trying to get to Jesus, and he doesn't make it. He's trying to walk on water, and he sinks. So he fails. However, because he risked everything, what was the end result? He lived, and everybody he loved and cared about lived. He didn't fail. He became a man. Don't let other people look at you as men and say, oh, bro, you lost that job, or you made this bad decision, or you didn't do this, or you didn't do everything that should have been done for your kids. Man, you're alive in Christ, and your family can be alive in Christ. You are not a failure. You're talking to the wrong men. First Samuel 14, it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, Saul's that king, right, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that's on the other side. But he didn't tell his father, the king. Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gebeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people who were with him were about 600 men. Saul's got an army of 600, and then Jonathan is basically by himself. Ahijah, the son of Ahiatub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. The name of one was Boaz and the name of the other, Sanaa. That's verse 4. Real quick, you ever heard the statement, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place? That's where the statement comes from. Jonathan is a boy, and his father is king, and they've got an army. And Jonathan's like, you know what? I feel like taking a risk. I'm going to go over to the opposite army, basically by myself. And while he's on the way, he gets stuck between a rock and a hard place. Man, I bit off more than I could chew. Man, I didn't really think this one all the way through. Am I going to survive this? Verse 5. The front of one rock faced northward opposite Michmash, the other southward towards Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, and it may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that's in your heart. Go then, and here I am with you according to your heart. Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we'll stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say to us, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor, brother, armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we'll show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor, brother, armor bearer killed them. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked so that there was very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul, back in Gebeah of Benjamin, looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. Saul said to the people who were with him, 
call the roll call and see who's gone out from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. What a risk. Says they're over an acre of land, and these two dudes, Jonathan and his armor bearer, killed 20 people in this acre of fighting, two on 20, and then the rest of that army begins to melt away. But Jonathan leaves the king and the army as a boy, goes between the rock and the hard place, and becomes a man, not just because he could fight, but because he trusted God. He wanted to know what it was like to hear from God, to trust God, and to see God move in his life. Verse 6, he said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by few or by many. What kind of statement is that? It may be. I'm not really down to roll with you if you're like, it may be. Hey, bro, we're going to do this, and it might work out. You haven't planned well enough. You're not making me feel comfortable and secure. Jonathan says to his armor bearer, look, we're going to go fight the whole army, and God might let us win. This armor bearer leads us into the last thing that I want to share with you guys this morning, which is about impartation. Impartation means to transfer something between people. And this morning, obviously, we're talking about men. We saw affirmation, we saw risk, and now we're going to get into impartation. An armor bearer's job is literally to hold Jonathan's armor so that when they do get into a battle, Jonathan's fresh and ready to fight. Does that make sense? You got two people walking. The armor bearer has his own armor on, and he's carrying all of Jonathan's armor so that Jonathan's just fresh and hanging out, and they get to the battle. He's like, all right, give me all my stuff. So the armor bearer gives it to Jonathan. They get ready to battle, and, and Jonathan's ready to fight. This life of an armor bearer, the whole life, is about risk. Why? Because he obviously is not fresh and ready to fight for himself, ever. Imagine going into a battle, and every time you're like, it's not about me. I'm just here to bear the armor for somebody else because he's got to live. He's the, he's the king's son. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm going to carry his armor so that he can have the best chance of fighting and winning. I can't even barely fight for myself after carrying all his stuff around. Imagine if you as a Christian felt like an armor bearer for the king's sons and daughters. Imagine what is imparted to the king's sons and daughters when you as another man or as another woman not just with your words, but with your actions, show that you love them and care about them. And you want them to live. The armor bearer in verse 7, listen to what he says. His armor bearer said to him, after Jonathan says, hey, let's go over there. It might be that, the God, that God will fight for us and we're going to win. He could do it with few or he could do it with many. Verse 7, his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Earlier on, God said to Samuel, I want David. Why? Because I'm not looking at the outside. I'm looking at the heart. Men have to also look at the heart. The armor bearer says, God saw Jonathan's heart, but I, as your armor bearer and as your friend, I see your heart and I'm willing to fight with you. Amen. There's nothing better for a young man, especially, than to be able to look at another young man in the eyes and say, I'm with you. 
If you've ever experienced that, like you really felt it, you guys don't have to raise your hand, but think back to your friends, your boys when you were growing up. Think back to maybe some of your friends now. Do you remember a friend looking in your eyes and just being like, man, I'm with you, and you knew it, like it was real? Do you remember the feeling of telling some other man, like, hey, I'm with you, I got you? Some of the craziest things have happened because of those words. <laughs> if you get beyond the feeling, like I remember saying that to some of my friends and them saying it to me, and we got into some crazy stuff. But it was real. Does that make sense this morning? Like, it was real. You said it. You meant it. Think about the things that have happened. Like, people have done crazy stuff. They've murdered. They've killed. They've lost their own lives. They've, they're in prison right now for the rest of their lives because they looked another man in the eyes and said, I'm with you. So it's real. But also, some of the greatest things that have ever happened in this world is because one man looked another man in the eyes and said, I'm with you. That's right. Amen. This story about Jonathan and his armor bearer, they didn't know it was going to be in the Bible. They didn't know that everybody's going to be reading about it. We're going to be talking about thousands of years later. But they looked each other in the eyes and said, hey, bro, I'm with you. I'm telling you, as a man, as a father, as a pastor especially, there's nothing like another man in this church looking at me and saying, hey, I'm with you. Where is your heart leading us as a church? As you go, I go. Nothing like it. Men long to hear those words, but we also long to say them and mean it. We live in a sad day where most men cannot actually say those words to another man and really mean it. What we can say is, I'm kind of with you. I'm with you until it really starts to negatively affect me. <laughs> I'm with you until you want like one out of every $10. I'm with you until it's during the playoffs. I'm with you. Does that make sense to anybody this morning? You, we need to become men who can say, I'm with you. It doesn't matter what happens. Amen. And it doesn't matter when it happens, and it doesn't matter what it costs me, I'm with you. So as we close, check this out. David and Jonathan become best friends. Remember, Saul is the king. David gets anointed as king who's going to take over for Saul at some point, And Jonathan is Saul's son. So it's already kind of a, a strange situation that these two would become best friends like they do. Listen to this in 2 Samuel. See what's imparted between these men. 2 Samuel chapter 1. It came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, David stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp, with his clothes torn, dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, the people had fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? And the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear. And indeed, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. 
Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? So I answered and I said, I am an Amalekite. He said to me again, please stand over me and kill me, for my anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and I killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them and said, or excuse me, and so did all of the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I'm the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, How is it that you were not afraid to put forth your own hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I've killed the Lord's anointed. David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son, and he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jeshur, the beauty of Israel is slain on your high places, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it in Gath, proclaim it in the streets of Ashkelon, let the, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, no rain upon you, nor fields of offering. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. For the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul. He clothed you in scarlet and with luxury. He put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. And then David says, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war have perished. This is the end of their relationship, the end of this time where they were able to impart things into each other's lives and speak man to man in each other's lives. David honored Saul as a man of God above what Saul was to him man to man. Saul didn't like David. Saul knew that he was going to take over the, the, the children of Israel as their king. David would come in to see him and Saul would throw spears at him and try to kill him. But David had become more than just a man. He was a man of God. When he looked at Saul, he said, this is the Lord's anointed. This is the king. I don't care how he may treat me or what our relationship is like. I honor him as the king. And think about this. David kills the man that killed the king that was trying to kill David. When you talk about what it really means to be a man of God, what it means to have godly perspective, what it means to have godly wisdom, you don't, you don't, you're not the center of everything anymore. God is the sinner. I don't care if this person hates me. That's the Lord's anointed and I will not touch him. David 
Saul's throwing spears at him. David finds him in a cave. He's behind him. Saul doesn't know he's there. He's got his sword out. He takes a little piece of his robe and says, look, I could have killed you, but you're the Lord's anointed. I love you. You're the man of God. God chose you. Who am I to do anything against you? But we think a man is somebody who can fight. David continued to take risk in his godliness. I'm not going to kill the man that wants to kill me. I might not make it till tomorrow. I might not make it till next week, but I will not dishonor God, he says. Finally, we see all that was imparted between these men on a spiritual level. I think most of the time we don't really understand it when it's happening. We have to look back and be able to see it. But this is what David says about Jonathan at the end. He says, the mighty have fallen, verse 25, in the midst of battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. Isn't it crazy? God lets Jonathan win a battle, two against 20, which eventually is two against hundreds, but then he dies on the battlefield later. God just keeps telling us we got to keep risking. David says, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You've been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Coming of age, becoming a man, is largely about the conversations that take place man to man. I challenge you men who are here, go read through the story about their relationship between Jonathan and David and how they became as close as they were, the conversation that they were having, the things that they were talking about, and see if you're doing that with other men. See if you can look at another man and say, man, your love for me is wonderful. How you speak into my life, how you challenge me, how you encourage me, how you affirm me, how you cause me to take risks that I never wanted to take. There's nothing like it, but it's available to all of us who are here in this place this morning. It surpassed the love of a woman. I want to encourage you. I love having a wife. There's nothing like it. I love being a father. I love everything that that family has to offer because I didn't have it growing up. And I can't wait to enjoy the rest of it and to start new, uh, a new generation of what it means to be a Jarrett man. I love all that kind of stuff. But the longer that I'm a man of God, the more that I realize that I need other men of God. My wife is a gift. My marriage is a gift. My family is a gift. But if you read the scriptures, that's not the end all and be all of everything. Women will, will spend some time with you guys next week. But for the men who are here, man, God has sent men into your life for a reason. God is offering something that the world really doesn't have any idea about. For the women who are here, man, encourage these men. Kick them out of the door for men's fellowships. Put phone numbers and contacts into their phone. Like, where'd this come from? I know I had this dude's number. Worship team, would you come? I want to pray. Give us an opportunity to uh, just to worship and just to respond. What it, what it also means to be a man. God wants to affirm us. God wants us to take risks. God wants some things to be imparted into our lives. <clears throat> and I believe that God wants us to, uh, to respond. Why don't we all stand this morning? <clears throat>
So how do we apply this to, to the scriptures that we know that talk about what it really means to, to be saved? This is for everybody who's here this morning, for the men, for the women, for the young people who are here. You're not here by chance. You're not here uh, uh, because of circumstances of somebody else inviting you, somebody else bringing you. Your parents are here. That's not what it's about. God has ordained for you to be here because God wants to s speak into your life. God is the great imparter. When we talk about imparting, something being transferred between one person and another, God is a creator of that. What you get when you are in a relationship with another person is just a glimpse at what you can have when you're in a relationship with God. That feeling you get when you get that phone call, that feeling you get when somebody really understands what you're going through, that feeling you get when somebody just, you know, wraps their arms around you and hugs you. God says, it's just a glimpse at what I have for you. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night. He was a man who was a little bit insecure about how he was starting to feel about Jesus. Think about that for a second. He's starting to like Jesus. He's starting to maybe even fall in love with Jesus. He's starting to want to hear what Jesus has to say. But as a man, he's insecure about coming to talk to him, so he comes at night. He came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God. No one can do the things that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. What Jesus is talking about when he says that you need to be born again, he says there's flesh and there's spirit. He's saying you were born just a normal man. Or a normal woman, you have the same characteristics of the man that produced you and the woman that produced you. And the same way they died, you're going to die. The same way that they made mistakes, you're going to make mistakes. The same way that at your best, all you can produce for your kids is death. He says, but I make an opportunity for you to be born again, born of my spirit. You will become a man of God. You will become a woman of God. He says, but there's only one way. You have to start all over. You have to be born again. You can't add this on to your old life. You've got to start a whole new life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be born again. That's the decision that we come in and we make. When Jesus said to Simon and Andrew, leave that old net behind. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. I have a new life for you. No more old fishing, new fishing. My way. If you're here this morning, you heard Steve talk about it. He said he was here in May, and a man said to him, do you want to be born again? Do you want to start your new life today? Do you want to leave those old nets behind and become something brand new? If you're here this morning and you haven't done that, 
or you thought you had done it in the past, but the same way we know ourselves on the inside, you know it wasn't real, it didn't happen, there's no spirit of God alive inside of you, it's the same old man, it's the same old woman. Man, maybe today will be for you what that day in May was for him, what October 21st back in 2004 was for me, the day that everything changed. You can be born again. For anybody here, man, woman, child, young person, old person, it doesn't matter. Man, I want you to come of age. If you've never accepted Christ and said, come into my life, please forgive me. I want to follow you. I want to start all over. I want to be born again. I want to have alive inside of me your life. Would you raise your hand where you are? You're not saved, but you want to be this morning. You've never given your life. Hey, man, I see you, sis. Thank God I see you. Anybody else this morning that would say with this woman here that, man, I want Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want to start over. I want a new life. I want to be born again. Anybody else choosing Jesus for yourself this morning? Not religion, not a past, not a history, not a family. Salvation in Christ and Christ alone. Anybody else before we move on? Hallelujah. Before you leave, we're going to get a Bible into your hands. We're going to pray with you. We're going to talk to you about some salvation type stuff that we've got available to you so that you can grow in this relationship with God. But we're so happy for you. We're so grateful for you this morning. And we're going to be praying with you. Amen. Give her a hand. Thank you, God. So this last thing I want to do is for the men here who want to grow as men. This is that stand by me <laughs> risk moment. Go back and watch that movie. All these boys are getting together and they made this plan about where they're going to go and what they're going to do. Uh, but they were all in. They were able to look at each other in the eyes and say, hey, man, I'm with you. So I want to open the altar. But before I do, it's, it's risk taking time for the men. If you're saved and you're all in, and you're willing to take a risk, I want to invite you to the altar, share some things with you and pray with you. But that's why it's a risk. You don't know what I'm going to share with you. But if the Spirit of God is telling you that, man, something about today was for me, something about being a man of God is for me, I'm going to give you just a couple seconds here. Would you get to the altar so I can share something with you? Have your way, Lord. Little stand by me moment. <laughs> so these man to man conversations, fellas, what we've been talking about this morning, coming in and out of the church is great. We need that, but you need men. And there's a particular type of men that you need. You need men of God. Our love for one another is different than the love that we receive from the women in our lives. Our love for one another is different than the love that we receive from other men in our lives who don't know the Lord. Now listen to me. They are doing the best that they can as our friends, as our brothers, as our uncles, as our dads in many cases. But if they don't know the Lord, it's not that they don't want to. They cannot give us what God wants us to have. You can only get it in one place. It's from other men of God. 
We have to then share that with those other men that we're talking about. Show them that there's something different. Show them that there's something God wants to give them. But we can't give them anything if we haven't received it ourselves first. So earlier, one of our men talked about being in the Word. Being in the Word is having a man-to-man conversation with God your Father. Think about the conversations we talked about today and and one man talking to another, one man praying for another, one man crying for another and ripping his clothes off because he fell in battle. And just imagine this, you can have a one-on-one, man-to-man conversation with God in heaven. You just got to open it up. Steve earlier said that it's hard when you begin to get into this book. Well, that's because your father in heaven knows more than you know. And the things that he wants to talk to you about are things that other people are not talking to you about. It's going to be hard, but you can do it. It's worth it. In addition to the word of God, in addition to other men that we need to talk about or talk to about things, in my life, I have these other men that I talk to. C.S. Lewis, Charles Spurgeon, Oswald Chambers, J. Vernon McGee, Chuck Smith. Many of these men have gone on to be with the Lord, but they've left these resources called books with me. And I have these man-to-man conversations with them. They tell me about what they're learning and experiencing. They listen to me talk about what I'm learning and experiencing. And there's an impartation that takes place. 2018, coming of age, we got to be men. We can't be too tired to read. We can't be too tired to pray. We can't be too tired to show up. We can't be too tired to lead. And when we are, we need to call each other and say, I'm tired. And then we need to lift each other up and be armor bearers for one another. Look, bro, I know you're tired and I know you're barely making it. I'll come carry everything you got for as far as I can carry it so that you can be fresh for the battle that's ahead of you. We can all do that for each other. Man to man, man to man. Don't listen to what the world has told us. God has something else to say to us. Church, if you would just stretch your hands toward these men who are here this morning. Lord, we thank you for each and every one of them. Lord, you said that you look at the hearts. We are not perfect men, Lord. But we're following after you, Jesus, who is perfect. We have failed And we have failed miserably, Lord God. Sometimes our failures are there for the world to see. There for our loved ones and friends and families to have to experience the consequences of our failures. But you didn't say that we would never fail. You said that we have to keep fighting. You said that we have to repent. You said that we have to cry out to you like David cried out and said, Lord, help me, forgive me. And then you call David a man after your own heart, Lord. Whatever we've done, wherever we've been, Lord God, whatever lies from the enemy, Lord, that we've received, whatever we've walked in, we repent right now, Lord. We lay that down at your feet and we just ask you, help us, forgive us, love us, give us another opportunity, give us a new day. Let your mercies be renewed again in our lives. Lord, affirm these men. 
this moment, this day, at this altar, Lord. Tell them they are loved, they are valued, they are capable, they have destiny, they have purpose. Give them vision, give them direction, give them encouragement and strength that only comes from you, Lord God. Let them see what the end of their own efforts will produce, Lord God, and let them begin to walk in your spirit and in your power. Lord, make them risk takers. Make them risk takers, Lord, that they would step out of the boat, that they would try new things, that they'd risk it all at the sound of your voice. Not risk taking just for the sake of taking a risk, but like Peter said, Lord, if it's you, speak to me and I'll step out. Speak to these men to step out, God. And let them take the risk, no matter what it makes them look like in front of their friends and their family and their co-workers. Let them set their eyes firmly upon you, Jesus, and step out of the boat. Finally, Lord, I pray for impartation. Let things begin to happen as these men engage in meaningful conversation, Lord. As they open up your word, as they read books, Lord. As we challenge one another as we talk to one another and call one another and bear our souls before one another, repent before one another, re, uh, uh, reaffirm, Lord, our understanding of who we are and how frail we are, Lord. Let your spirit begin to just impart amazing things in our lives, Lord. Forgiveness and joy, peace that surpasses understanding, Lord. Let us come of age. Let us come of age this year, this season, this moment, Lord God. Not mere men, Lord God, but men of God. We love you this morning. We thank you this morning. Let it all be sealed by your blood, Lord God, and cause it to bear fruit in our lives, Lord. We thank you. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.